We are in the second part of a uh, short series of messages asking the question, how can I know for sure that I have eternal life? Is there some way to, to a- absolutely kind of nail down my relationship with God in such a way that I know that uh, when I leave this planet, I'm going into his presence eternally in heaven. And so that's the question that we're asking. And last week, as I pointed out, there are a number of tests that are actually given in Scripture that we can use to apply to ourselves. I mentioned Paul's admonishment to the Corinthians from his second letter Chapter 13, verse 5, Do you not know that Jesus Christ is in you unless you fail the test? There's a living person inside of us because of our relationship with God. It's not just a religion, not just a philosophy, uh, not just a set of morals or ethics, but we actually have a relationship with a person, namely God himself, who has come to take up residence in our lives so that we have that intimacy and closeness with God himself. This morning, uh, there's another test. John gives it to us, the key verse for this morning's message. The text, if you please, is 1 John chapter 3, verse 14, where John says in his first letter, We know that we have passed from death unto life because we love the brethren. We know that we have passed from death unto life because we love the brethren. I'm going to get to that text in a few moments as we move along, but that's the test that we're looking at this morning. Now, I was thinking about uh, all the dangerous aspects of this kind of a series. And I have to give you some cautionary notes, again, by way of introduction this morning. It's really important to remember that these are self-administered tests. They're not tests for you to check each other out with. (laughs) These are self-administered test. In fact, Paul says to the Romans chapter 14, he says, uh, Who are you to judge another man's servant? To his own master he stands or falls. And then he kind of breaks out of his analogy for a moment and he says, And stand he will, because God is able to make him stand. Uh, We are not to use these to test one another. And the reason for that is very important. Every one of us comes to Christ at a different point in life with our own set of issues and problems. There's always an element of conviction of sin and of repentance in coming to Christ. It's it's really not possible to have a, a new birth experience without that. But the reality is that God meets you at one place and you at some other place and you at a different place. And because of the starting point, the process of growing in Christ-like character,
character, which we call sanctification. The Bible calls it that. It's being set apart into God and, and made to be godly or righteous, the character of God. That is a very individualistic process with every person that the Holy Spirit begins where you are. And he knows just how to lead you along. It's confusing to some people that one person will feel convicted of some behavior that another person has absolutely no problem with. I'm not talking about the clear black and white statements in Scripture. I'm talking about all of those areas that are kind of like, well, what if, you know. Uh, that the Bible does not specifically address. And some people will feel keenly convicted where other people have no sense of conviction at all because God is dealing with them differently. And we can't be one another's judge. These are tests that are designed for you to examine your own heart. The second thing that's very important, and we're going to, to see this in just a moment in John's Gospel, not his first letter, but his Gospel, where Jesus says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. There is always the danger that someone will hear these characteristics of new birth and get the cart before the horse. In other words, they'll say, oh, I lack love, so I'm going to try harder to be more loving. I'm going to work at, at my love life. I'm going to try harder to be more loving. Um, that's the idea of, by my obedience, I will prove my love. And the problem with that is that it's the law and gospel problem. For 1,500 years, the Jews tried and failed, and God knew they would. Um, he gave the law to point us to Christ. The whole point was, here's my character, and you will never keep it on your own. You can't do this. You need divine life in you, living out of you. So if you... If you listen to these tests and say, okay, I need a little of this, a little of that. Yeah, I'm okay in this department, but I need to bolster this up. And that'll make me a Christian. No, it won't. The, the question is, do you find it welling up within you because of his life? Jesus didn't say, keep my commandments in order to love me. He said, if you love me, you will be keeping my commandments. It's part of the nature of having a relationship with God. I hope you catch the subtle difference there because it's, it's not a little difference. It's, a, it's subtle in the sentence, but it's huge. It's the difference in the starting point. We start with relationship from which a life of obedience and godly character flows not the other way around. Now, of all the characteristics and attributes that God produces in us, 
when we become born of his spirit, the one that kind of rises to the top is love. It's not the only attribute. It's not the only characteristic. There are more than one test. But it is certainly one of the key proofs that we have come to know Jesus Christ. And that is that there is inside of us a love that wells up that is very much like the character of God. Jesus, in John chapter 13, if you'd like to turn there in your Bibles with me for a moment, in John chapter 13, beginning in verse 34, Jesus says, John 13, 34, A new commandment I give you, that you love one another even as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Francis Schaeffer, a number of years ago, wrote a book entitled The Mark of a Christian. And the whole book was about the loving nature of believers. It is the hallmark of a life in Christ that we become lovers of one another and of God and even of the world around us. Uh, Francis Schaeffer wrote that at an interesting period of time when his uh, original denomination uh, was at war with themselves, the liberals versus the conservatives. And um, he said that one of the things that to him was the greatest tragedy was that the liberals were clearly in error theologically, but the conservatives were grossly in error in their malevolent and bitter attitudes toward the less orthodox. They were angry and snarly and gripey and snippy, and they just showed a venomous hatred for those on the other side of the camp. It's hard to prove that Christ is in you when that kind of animosity exists. And poor Francis Schaeffer, who tried to walk the middle ground, uh, calling both sides together, got shot at by both. That's what happens when you wear gray pants and a blue coat in the Civil War. And um, he got shot at from both sides and left high and dry in Switzerland. And uh, they kind of both abandoned him. And so, uh, he, you know, he wrote that book out of his angst in that, that why are believers not acting like godly people the mark of a christian jesus says is love this is how everyone's going to know that you're my disciples if you look over in chapter 15 beginning in verse 12 john 15:12 this is my commandment that you love each other just as i have loved you greater love has no one than this that one lay down his life for his friends 
You're my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you slaves, for a slave does not know what his master's doing. But I've called you friends, for all things that I have heard from my Father I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit, and that your fruit should remain, that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he will give you. This is my commandment, that you love one another. It's interesting that the New Testament church, shortly after its birth in the book of Acts, soon became known because of its love. In fact, the, the people around Jerusalem who were not part of the church looked in on this new group of people, and they, the scripture says, marveled at how they loved each other. Now, I want to point out to us that this is something very distinctive and significant. Jesus says, what kind of love do you show? What kind of, uh, you know, person are you if you love those who love you? Your, you know, your kids, your family, your friends, uh, people that you're close to. He said, unbelievers do that. You know, everybody has somebody usually that they're close to and they like each other and and so they already have a basis for a relationship they kind of give one another encouragement and whatever and and jesus said all over the world people do that but there was something unusual about the love that the new testament believers had for each other it was way beyond what you would expect to find. In fact, we learned from the book of Acts that uh, pretty soon the disparity between the relative wealth of that new uh, church became apparent. Some members were very well off and some were living in poverty. Some had plenty and others were in need. And the Bible says that the solution was spontaneously. Don't try to make a rule like this. <laughs> but spontaneously, they, they sold their possessions, turned it into liquidity, into cash, brought it to the apostles, and redistributed it among themselves so that everyone's needs were met. And they did this absolutely freely we learn from implication as we follow the story that not everyone did it but many did sufficiently so that that the people that were in uh, serious need had their needs met and the people watching this from the outside said wow we've never seen this kind of spontaneous compassion that people have for each other this is amazing love in this church Jesus makes it clear that the love that we share for each other is going to be one of the hallmarks of our relationship with him and even before I go any further let me just stop and ask you how is your heart with respect to the people around you here this morning? Do you have a deep commitment 
to the people in this room. Do you know what's, and I'm not saying you know every person in the room and everything that's going on in everyone's life. That's, that's not possible. In fact, uh, social psychologists who study these kinds of things say that we can only, in, in any group, get to know about a dozen people really, really well. Maybe Jesus had some insight into that, you know, early on. I don't know. But, uh, but we're limited in the number of deep commitments that we can, deep relationships we can have. But do you see what would happen if every one of you here had a vested interest in the life of 12 other people? I dare say that not a person in this room would ever go with a need unmet, whether it was emotional or physical or spiritual or whatever it was, because there would always be four or five people that knew what was going on with them. And in times of real crunch, they can rally the troops to, to gather more. Um, are you known and do you know? Do you pay attention? Are you... Uh, learning what's happening in the lives of those around you, not in a voyeuristic way or a nosy way, but in genuine, loving interest. How are you really? You know, we always greet one another with that, right? <laughs> Hi, Carol, how are you? <laughs> and Carol says, I'm fine, how are you? I'm fine, okay. Now, and, and we know socially that that's just a greeting, you know. Uh, it really doesn't ask a question, and it really doesn't get an answer. In fact, we're startled when people give us an answer. <laughs> well, I'm not really doing so well today. Oh, no, I didn't mean to. I don't even have time for this, you know. <laughs> but beyond the greeting, are we invested do we know? Um, are we willing to make the sacrifice for each other? This is the kind of love that should be going on in your heart with the people around you in this room. This is how people will know that you're my disciples. It kind of rises to the top because when the Apostle Paul begins to talk about it and he focuses on love, in Galatians 5.22, when he begins to talk about the fruit of the Spirit, Paul says, now the fruit of the Spirit is love. Oh, yes, there, there are more things, but they come second to this one which is primary. In fact, some... Uh, commentators and analysts of the language feel that there should be a colon after love. Now, the fruit of the Spirit is love. And it looks like joy and peace and patience and t because love is the fruit. I'm not sure if I agree with them, but I'm merely pointing out that it has that kind of emphasis as the primary expression of the presence of the Spirit of God in our lives. That it comes out in love. It comes out in that kind of deeply 
held compassion that moves us toward each other. And then Paul defines love for us in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Why don't you turn there for a moment, beginning in verse 4, 1 Corinthians 13, 4. And he says, Love is patient. Love is kind. It is not jealous. It does not brag and is not arrogant. It does not act unbecomingly. We might say it doesn't act out. Uh, that would be our way of putting it. It does not seek its own. Is not provoked. Does not take into account a wrong suffered. Does not rejoice in unrighteousness, but rejoices with the truth bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never fails. In fact, when he gets down to the end of the chapter, he says there are three very important things, faith, hope, and love, but the greatest, the very greatest of these is love. Now, I'm not suggesting to you this morning that you are not a Christian if you do not have all of these attributes of love in spades. But what I am suggesting to you is that if you read this passage and you are a child of God, something in you should rise up and say, yes, and I want that in my life in all of its fullness. And if you read this chapter and say, yuck, who wants to live like that? then you really need to take a second look. Because God's purposes are to build this into your life. This is His nature. And it comes out when we are related to Him in this way. Love is prime of all the attributes of the spiritual life. Finally, I take you to 1 John this morning, chapters 3 and 4, John's first letter, way in the back of your New Testament. And our text comes from chapter 3, beginning in verse 13. 1 John chapter 3, verse 13. Do not marvel, brothers, if the world hates you. We know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brothers, family of God. He who does not love abides in death. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer. You know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. We know love by this, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. But whoever has the world's goods and beholds his brother in need and closes his heart against him, how does the love of God abide in him? Little children, let us not love with word or with tongue, but in deed and truth. We shall know by this that we are of the truth and shall assure our heart before him. And then look in the next chapter, chapter 4, beginning in verse 7. 
Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. The one who does not love does not know God, for God is love. By this is the the love of God is manifested in us, that God sent His only begotten Son into the world, that we might live through Him. And this is love, not that we loved God, but that He loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought also to love one another. John makes it very plain that the kind of love he's talking about, and the Greek word for it, which most of you are familiar with, is agape, The kind of love that he is talking about is a love that rises to the need in another person's life regardless of cost. If he laid down his life for us, we ought also to lay down our lives for one another. This takes many, many practical forms. It means not putting myself first in every situation. It means doing things for people I love even when I don't feel like it. It means doing things for people I don't really like even when I don't feel like it. It means rising to meet the needs of people around me when it cost me something to do that. This this is love, John says. It's practical. If we have the world's goods, if we have the ability to meet a need and we see someone who has that need and we shut up our heart and say, I'm going to ignore that, how does the love of God dwell in us? He that did not spare his son, but freely gave him to be a covering for our sin. How can we shut up our heart as if another person's circumstances didn't matter at all? John is awakening us to this kind of sacrificial love. It's practical. It's not just warm and fuzzy. It's real action. Sometimes it isn't warm and fuzzy at all. You know, sometimes we have bad attitudes, don't we? But you can still love. Sometimes people aggravate you, but you can still love. Because this is a love that takes action. It's a love that gets involved, no matter what the cost. And John says, this is how we know that we've passed from death to life, if if we find that we are moved in that direction. That something is going on inside of us that we cannot ignore the needs in another person's life, especially in the household of faith especially among our brothers and sisters. That love takes different forms with different people, often because of giftedness. Some of you would find it much easier to go and 
repair someone's car or change their tire than to sit down and talk about their problems over a cup of coffee. Others of you would find it much easier to have the intimate conversation over coffee and you wouldn't know the first thing about fixing a tire. But we need all of that. And however God has wired you, the scripture says there's something in the child of God that moves toward the need of another person in ways that you are equipped to fill. A card, a phone call, whatever. Remember in Matthew 25, as Jesus is talking about the judgment, and he says, there's a group of people that come to me, and I say to them, when I was sick and in prison, you came and visited me. When I was hungry, you fed me. When I was thirsty, you gave me water to drink. And they say to him, Lord, (laughs) yeah, I guess we did those things for other people, but we never saw you. And Jesus says, I tell you, inasmuch as you have done it to the least of one of these, my brothers, you have done it to me. Very practical. Very simple, but very genuine. We love a love that springs from the heart and manifests itself in action. So, how are you doing this morning? How's your love life? Do you find inside of you a heart of compassion and kindness and openness toward the people around you? Do you you love them? Do you pray for them? When they are burdened, are they on your heart and mind? Do you ask God for ways to get involved? What's happening inside your heart? Or do you find that you're just entirely focused on yourself and you really don't give a rip what's going on with anybody else? If that's the case, John says, if you don't love, you have to ask whether the Spirit of God is inside. Do you have eternal life? Because eternal life is not a thing or a place, it is a person. It is Jesus Christ, whom to know is life eternal. And if he is there, then something's going on in the love department. And it will grow and get bigger as you go along. And the Holy Spirit makes you look more like him. Father, thank you for your word to us this morning. I pray that you would use it in our lives, that we would examine ourselves. I I pray, Father, for those who are here this morning that are overly introspective, that tend to get uh, morbid and confused. Protect them from that. And Lord, for those who just assume that, you know, they've already got a shoe in the door of heaven and they don't even have to think about it, 
Um, stir them up. Move among us. Let us be honest and open before you. And show us the truth. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.